When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you asked me to come on the podcast, I immediate ha- immediately had like a huge heart attack because I've <laughs> never, like never seen a movie in my life. <laughs> and uh, I'm like pretty famous in my friend group for having like no pop culture references oh, ever. I spent okay. my entire childhood just reading books and not watching TV or movies. I've gotten a little bit better um, <laughs> the pandemic specifically with TV. Um, okay. But movies are still really tough. Uh, like, you know, most movies I've not seen. But for many years, when people ask me what my favorite movie was, I would say Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. Um, okay. And I think I have, like, this has become, like, kind of a thing for me. Like, I just, I love that movie. And, um, you know, I've been gifted a lot of Spider-Man paraphernalia over the years uh-huh. uh, because of that. And it's funny because I'm not a superhero guy at all. I don't know actually anything about the Marvel Universe. I don't know anything about uh, most most superheroes. I don't watch the Avengers. Um, I've oh. actually never watched any of the other Spider-Mans. What? It's just this one movie <laughs> that I really love. So I'm super excited to be here to talk about it. Welcome back to Open Forum. I'm Michael Denzel Smith. Peter Parker is your average high school nerd with an unrequited crush on a girl that's way out of his league. That is, until he gets bit by a radioactive spider, gets superpowers, his Uncle Ben is killed, a villain named Green Goblin emerges, and New York City is in need of a hero. It's then he remembers the words Ben passed on to him, with great power comes great responsibility, and starts to follow his spidey senses. He still has to watch as his best friend dates the woman that he loves, though. This week's film is Spider-Man the Tobey Maguire version. It was chosen by Danya Kukafka, author of the national bestsellers Girl in Snow and Notes on an Execution. I am fascinated by this. (laughs) Not just fascinated by the fact that you're just so much better than all of us dum-dums that watch TV and movies. No, TV and movies are amazing. And I'm slowly trying to... um... I'm slowly trying to catch up. So my partners had me watching, like we watched like Titanic recently, mm. um, Inglorious Bastards I watched recently. Okay. So like Pulp Fiction, like there are these movies where I'm like, this is brilliant. Where have I been all this time? You know? Um, so it's exciting to have this kind of little mm. movie renaissance. Yeah. Um, but if we're going back to my roots, it's Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. But that so fascinates me that like, of, like you're just like, nope, this is it. <laughs> I with, with respect to superheroes, this is the yeah. only one. I'm not interested in anything else. Not even interested in the sequel starring Tobey Maguire. No, I have 
okay, so I have seen the other two Tobey Maguire ones, but okay. like not for a long time. I did not rewatch them for this podcast. Okay. Um, so it's been a while. It's been a while. I remember the second one being pretty good. Um, not sure about the third, but it, it has been a while. <laughs> I I mean, I was not, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I was never really a big fan of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, uh, but everyone said- How dare you? That How dare you? I, look, we're look, we're here to we're here to be honest with each other. <laughs> uh, but uh, the one that I think like everyone said, or people who are fans of this series said is the best is Spider Man Two, um, and I don't know. Like I remember watching Spider Man Two and me like I kind of prefer the the first one if I'm choosing among the the Tobey Maguire ones. Um, I just I think I've just never been big into Spider Man as a character himself. It's kind of I was just a Batman kid when I was growing up. Like that okay. was it. Michael okay. Keaton mm-hmm. and Batman. Michael okay. Keaton was Batman and still is Batman to me. Yes. <laughs> when you're I'm not gonna argue with you on that, mostly because I don't know enough to. On your movie journey, <laughs> on your movie journey, <laughs> if you do not have the nineteen eighty nine Batman <laughs> involved in there, where you have Jack right. Nicholson as a Joker, I mean, what more can oh, you that's ask awesome. for? I actually didn't even know that. That sounds incredible. <laughs> yes, yes. There's Michael Keaton and Nicole Kid. No, not Nicole Kidman. What's uh, Kim Basinger? Is that is in that one? Yeah, and then Jack Nicholson. Yes. Amazing. It's, All right. It's, well, it's that'll incredible. be next on my list. <laughs> but we're here today to discuss Spider Man from 2002, and you know. I feel like at this point, most people, if you've come across, Spider- like, there's been so many Spider-Mans that you kind of know Spider-Man's origin story, right? Like, he's a nerdy kid uh, who gets bit by a radioactive spider. He gets powers. He's now your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man superhero. And part of that, uh, the mythology of him becoming Spider-Man is that he's raised by his Uncle Ben and Aunt May. And his uncle Ben is killed in some, in uh, you know, a stick up. Uh, and so many of the different superheroes, they're like some family member has been killed, and essentially they're avenging uh, that death. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's basically the movie, right? It's the origin story of Tobey Maguire's Spider Man, and then he has to fight the Green Goblin, Willem Dafoe's uh, Green Goblin, who is like. Uh, this head of this corporation that like does all of these different experiments and human genomes and blah 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 and all kinds of more superhero talk yeah he has to and then the basics of it is that he has to fight the green goblin there's many other things that we could get into but i'm curious as this is being your the only spider-man film the only superhero movie that you're like and then for you to say for years it's your favorite movie, what is it about this one that, that's so appealing? You know, I really asked myself that question as I was watching it. I was like, why has this stayed with me for so long and become like people, you know, people would know me for liking Spider-Man, but specifically this <laughs> Spider-Man. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's like a thing in my friend group. Like I have a pair of, I should have brought them, a pair of Spider-Man high heels downstairs. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll send you a picture later. <laughs> and I was, I was watching this movie and I was kind of like, okay, first of all, tiny baby James Franco, which I did not realize mm-hmm. was James Franco yeah. 20 years ago um, until I rewatched <laughs> this and was like, oh my God, he's so little. Um, and and ba- 
maybe Kirsten Dunst and baby Toby McGuire and Willem Dafoe being amazing. Yeah. Um, and now sort of knowing the context for that cast is kind of cool, right? Um, being like, oh, these are like still real people who have giant careers now. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I, w- I feel like there are a lot of layers to this movie, and mm. I I think for a superhero movie, for an action movie, it's really like beautifully done. Mm. I, I think it's it's quite an emotional experience to watch. Um, there are a few moments in the movie where I was like, "Wow, this is like you know really artistically portrayed," mm. um, and particularly the end of the movie, I thought it was really mm. beautiful. Um, and for especially for an action superhero movie, I felt like it was very very human. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's why I've liked it all this time. I don't think there's any specific reason. I also like. I don't even like Tobey Maguire. I don't know what it is. I don't. I don't like his face. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I was talking to a friend about doing this podcast, and he was like, oh, you're doing the Mopey Maguire one. I was like, yeah. Mopey Maguire. The Mopey Maguire one. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's something about Mopey Maguire in this, though, that I actually, I do kind of like. I think he's he's like your your everyman right um he's it was an interesting casting choice looking back on it it was a very interesting casting choice because in terms of superheroes you're used to having you know the big bulky (laughs) square-faced actors um and toby mcguire is not that um so i think there's something also that he really humanizes the role Thanks for the ride, Uncle Oh, Ben. Oh, wait a minute, Peter. We, uh, we need to talk. Well, we can talk later. Well, we can talk now, if you let me. But what do we have to talk about? Why now? Because we haven't talked at all for so long. Your Aunt May and I don't even know who you are anymore. You shirk your chores. You, you have all those weird experiments in, in, your, in your room. You, you start fights at school. We I don't didn't know. start that fight. I told you that. Yeah, well, you sure as hell finished yeah, I think the, the Mopey Maguire is just so funny to me. But, I, but it's spot on, right? Like, he yeah. is, he is a, like, he portrays a very affected teenager very well in this movie. Someone who is, like, basically emo. I mean, this is sort of the yeah. emo yeah, phase totally. of, of our culture, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is, he is, he's very emo and it's, like, endearing in, in its mm-hmm. way, right? Like, even some of the parts where it may feel like this might actually be a little creepy when he's watching yeah. MJ from his window and it's like, but then you're like, oh, well, he's this sad sack kid who just like really truly doesn't know how to talk to any other person. And I think that like there, Toby McGuire's for me, Toby McGuire's face in this is necessary. He needs to be that mopey because yeah. otherwise like my, my reading of the film is just like, oh, this is like the ultimate revenge of the nerds film, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that's it for me. I think that might be it. And maybe that's also why I've had no interest in watching Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. <laughs> he's not nerdy enough. It's not the same thing. Like he's nerdy, but it's not quite the same. He's like a cute nerd. And Toby McGuire is not a cute nerd. Toby um, not a cute nerd. <laughs> Hot takes from Tiger <laughs> It is, it is, it does kind of feel like Revenge of the Nerds, though, and I, maybe that is part of why I like it so much. I mean, when this movie came out in 2002, I was in middle school, mm. um, and, you know, nobody, nobody has a good time in middle school. Middle school's um, No, it's a bad time, and I may be watching Hilby Maguire be so, um, sad and weird, yet prevail. <laughs> maybe there was something that just, like, really touched me about that. It's hopeful, 
right? Like it it's, it's hopeful it for all of us middle school yeah. outcasts and nerds that like there's something on the other side of that. We right, could... and he's, he saves the day too, you know? He continues to save the day, but not without his demons, yeah. right? Like he's so Absolutely. haunted and he seems to understand. It's not just like, here I am, hot, swooping in, saving the day. He's just like, he has this other layer, right? Especially mm-hmm. in that those final scenes where you realize he's understanding the gravity of what has happened to him and the yeah. responsibility of what has happened to him. The um, responsibility, right? What Uncle Ben <laughs> says to him, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. he, he is having to manage his desires with like, oh, MJ likes me now and I've been in love with this person forever. But right. I understand as Spider-Man, I have all of this responsibility that I must carry. And I've already, she's already been affected by that. Like, I can't drag her into that anymore. Right. And like weighing those things and choosing the responsibility. It's like, that's huge for like, for a yeah. young person and like being like. How old is he supposed to be? He's like 17, right? There. I mean, at this point, like they're they're mostly in high school, and then they do graduate. But I'm not exactly sure where they're at. Like, if they're post college or they're like in college at this point. I got like I got like somewhere after high school vibes. I don't mm. know um, because they graduate like halfway through the movie, right? Yeah. Um, and then they're like, he's living in the apartment with James Franco, who is dating and, MJ, and it's I'm yeah, sorry, that's so foul. That's so yeah, foul. It's gross. You know, I have to say, I have this memory of MJ being, like, so hot and cool in this movie. Mm. And watching it again as my 30-year-old self, I was like, oh, girl, what are you doing? (laughs) This is not the move. Oh, honey, yikes. Um, She disappointed me as a character a little bit, I have to say. um, This time around watching it. You know, she's definitely the damsel in distress, Mm -hmm. which you know, is a trope that you can't really fault her for. Um, And I think Kirsten Dunst is beautiful um, and plays her so well. But, you know, there are all those scenes where she's like hanging off the edge of a building, like screaming um, Mm -hmm. and Spider-Man's going to come save her. The one moment that really, really bothered me about MJ is the moment where she doesn't know who Spider-Man is, but he saved her life twice. And she's like, let me pull down your mask in this sultry way and have our upside down kiss. And I'm like, he could be disgusting and you have no idea. Just, I was like, what are you doing? And that to me was a, felt like a moment about a woman that was clearly written by a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I was like, no woman in their right mind would ever do that. <laughs> um, yeah. Having never seen this man's face, having never even spoken to him, he's just swooped her around the city a couple times. Right. Um, that's just, it's not how how brains work I don't think um and I struggled with that and I you know actually I struggled less with her dating James Franco because he's so cute um like that totally makes sense to me I was like yeah she's gonna go for the cute guy like not the nerdy neighbor and maybe eventually she'll see the the value in the nerdy neighbor which she does but her initial James Franco move did make sense to me more actually than her Spider-Man move I think it makes sense on her part it's just foul on his part, knowing oh, totally. that his his like his best friend roommate like has had a thing for her for how long, and he knows like his entire life. His entire yeah. life, yeah. and you're just like, I'm just gonna date her and not tell you. Like I'm yeah. not gonna tell you about it at yeah. all. 
Yeah, no, it's gross. And I mean, it kind of feels in line with his character though, right? Because his whole backstory is that he's like failed out of private school or like, mm. you know, got kicked out of private school and then come late to this public school, right? So he hasn't known Toby Maguire for all that long, right? Or I don't know how, I, it doesn't really say, but you get the sense that he's like moved to school. Yeah. Um, and part of me was like, I mean, he's, he looks like he's kind of a jerk. You can just tell, right? <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, no, it's super foul, super, super gross. Um, hate, hate him for it. And he, he does come back. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, right? He comes back and he becomes a, a villain in his father's footsteps, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. No, I remember no, that. And I, I, in preparation for this, I did do some Googling of the movies. <laughs> I was confused. <laughs> uh, you know, Charles, can we drive around the corner, please? Why? The entrance is right there. Dad, these are public school kids. I'm not showing up for the field trip and the rolls. What, you want me to trade in my car for a Jetta just because you flunked out of every private school I ever sent you it to? It wasn't for me. Of course it was. Don't ever be ashamed of who you are. I'm not ashamed of who I am. It had been, it had been a minute since I'd watched uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Um, or actually, you know, it, had, it hadn't been that long because I think I, I, I watched it early pandemic days. Mm-hmm. Um, but still like almost two years or so um since yeah. since I've, I've watched this um i i think about this film or or like on this watch which is maybe the first time that it really hit me how much of a post 9-11 film this is mm-hmm. right and it doesn't hit me until the scene where green goblin has uh put spider-man in the position of having to save the children or mary jane um and then he he like tries to do both and then he's hanging there and then green goblin comes in and he's like gonna knock him out and he's gonna he's gonna drop everyone and everyone's gonna die and then standing on this like bridge or whatever there's a bunch of new yorkers who start yeah. throwing stuff at the green goblin yeah. <laughs> it's like you leave spider-man alone we're new york you mess with one of us you mess with all of us and i was just like wow 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 you know, i never put that into timeline context and you are so right 2002 that makes so much yeah. sense yeah i never thought about that um wow yeah and they have they have those interviews with the new yorkers too who are like spider-man's like this spider-man's like that and they're so new yorkers uh- yeah. yeah and it's just like it's like uh, I, I i saw that scene and i was just like I want to know exactly when they were shooting and it like, did they shoot, were they shooting before 9-11 and they threw that scene in like post and they were like, we need New York to come together and feel good and like in the midst of tragedy and like here's Spider-Man to help you feel better. But like, or, or like, I don't know. I'm really curious about the choice of putting that, I, I don't know. There was there was such fervor during that time of just being mm-hmm. like we're all together, we're unified in the midst of our our tragedy and this terrorist attack. And then it's like once I start thinking about like them throwing that scene into the film, it's like okay, so what does Green Goblin represent here? Like is he the idea yeah. of terrorism that we're then like trying mm-hmm. to eradicate? And like you know, at the very end of the film, obviously like. Spider-Man goes and he swings and then he's standing behind a, an American flag. It's just like so much like American. Yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah. it's just like so much Americana and jingoism, and it's just yeah. like. But that's that. 
that was like what was being required of our major like institutions at that moment it's just like we need to feed into this patriotic moment and we need to give people stuff to stand behind that just is americana absolutely and i'm thinking about terrorism as we do it then and as we know it now um there's that scene where the green goblin is comes into the like festival like the street mm-hmm. party right and everyone's standing they're like fancy people are standing on the building and there's just crowds of normal people and he's coming in to just kill everyone yeah. um and i think around 2002 is when that idea becomes um like that that's going to be the future of what what mm-hmm. the scary moments look like and that has continued to be true yeah. um you know um terrorism in large crowds um terrorism in uh specifically building related yeah. <laughs> and he comes in and he wrecks this building right and he kills as many people as he possibly can yeah um and that's his whole purpose there and to me you're right that is so interesting within uh, the like cultural context of the time yeah it, like so much of the film, and I think like superhero films generally, and you know this is part of their problem, and maybe it's part of their appeal for a lot of people, is that like it is the idea of the stranger is the one that's like the most harmful mm-hmm. person, right? Like there's the scene, there's a scene right before the one that you hate with MJ <laughs> kissing Spider Man, where mm-hmm. why does he come in and soup soup to save her? Because she's being chased by a group of strange men on the right. street. <laughs> yeah. random dudes who are attacking her yeah they just just choose to attack her because like i mean the lawlessness of new york city and like i don't know like that's so that's so interesting i mean i watched that and was like yeah of course they're following her they're gonna they're gonna hurt her like that's <laughs> just like taking a fact you know yeah, you just take it for granted because like that's yeah. sort of the cultural like i think that i don't think that it's specific just to that time but it is heightened at that time that it's like it is the outsider it's the stranger everything that you need to be afraid of is like yeah. the you know people that you don't know and you can't trust those people that you don't know mm-hmm. but at the same time the Green Goblin is his best friend's father and his mentor. Um, like in the in the end, the real villain is actually someone from his own home in a certain way, right? Yeah. Um, and I think what I also really connected with about this movie is the Green Goblin is a great villain. He's so tortured. He does not yeah. want it to be a villain, um, yeah. but he is, right? And I think that's true of real life villains too, for the most part. I have this sort of belief that I've been talking about a lot lately in release of my new book, which is about a serial killer. Um, I, I don't believe that most people wake up and want to be bad. Like, I don't think people wake up and decide to be evil villains, right? Um, and I think the Green Goblin sort of manifest that idea in mm. such a such an interesting complex way, right? Yeah. There are all those scenes where he's like, no, don't, don't take me over. Don't let me become this. Right. And mm-hmm. he's sort of horrified by himself. He doesn't remember the moments in which he's, he's so evil. Um, and as a, as a regular person, he doesn't want to be like that. Of course he doesn't. Yeah. He's a good person. He's someone's father. He's mentoring this young boy, Peter Parker. Right. Like I think in that sense, he's just so much more interesting than most of the villains we see. <laughs> in short, ladies and gentlemen of the board, costs are down. Revenues are up, and our stock has never been higher. Wonderful news, Norman. Wonderful. As a matter of fact, it's the reason we're selling the company. What? Yes, Quest Aerospace is recapitalizing in the wake of the bombing. Expanding. They made a tender offer we can't ignore. Why wasn't I told? The last thing they want is a power struggle. 
with entrenched management. The deal is off if you come with it. The board expects your resignation in 30 days. But you can't do this to me. I started this company. You know how much I sacrificed? The idea that, like, they're just villains who just want to take over the world because of, like, just un the desire for this unchecked power. And it's like, no, so much of... And I think, look, I, I know you haven't watched the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You haven't gotten into it. But I do think that they do a good job of this with their villains in that, like, the the idea of them is not so much that they're just, like wake up one day and are just like, I desire unlimited power. It is like, mm -hmm. here is an event that has shifted them and their perspective on the world. Here is some, here's a reason behind everything that they're doing. And I think that that's the thing that can go unexamined, like in something like, you know, my, my early uh, childhood favorite Batman. It's like mm -hmm. the Joker doesn't have any reason for anything. Like, no, but, yeah, I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, but it, but <laughs> then you get to like the Christian Bale Batman and Heath Ledger's Joker, right. and it's just like, yeah. yeah, some people just some men just want to watch the world burn, and it's like that's sort of the ethos that like some of these villains carry, and it's like, well, mm -hmm. no, people aren't like that. Like, that's not the, no. the they they're not just driven by a desire for destruction. Right. I think, I think there are very, very few people in the real world who, who want to just see everything burn. Like you said, yeah. like, I think that's, I think that's rarely a, a proper motivation. Um, and I think, I mean, the Joker is an incredible villain. I, I was going to bring up the dark Knight because I, yeah. that is one other superhero movie that I was so into when it came out. <laughs> dark Knight is one of the only other superhero movies I've ever watched that I've seen multiple times and have just, you know, thought about deeply. Yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah. that that movie also the context around terrorism in that movie, which is very mm -hmm. specific. Yeah. Um, I'm from Colorado where mm. uh, that, shooting took place yeah. and it was very close to home very scary um and the question of sort of villainy surrounding that movie is really interesting and also like i feel like there's just tragedy upon tragedy heath ledger um yeah. you know every everything converging yeah. onto that film um makes it just all the more all the more interesting and compelling in kind of a, a weird way i think i find that whole uh Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale Batman trilogy really fascinating but also like such a reflection of the politics of that time in where where like like the like we're talking about Spider-Man as an, in a sort of immediate post 9/11 movie where it's just sort of a rallying cry, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the Batman trilogy represents a solidifying of like quote unquote anti-terrorist politics within our like body politic, right? Like it's just like, mm -hmm. no, mm -hmm. this is baked in now. This is how we handle this. And it's just it's such fascistic like yeah. like yeah. you know, um handling and it's it's like yes the storytelling is done well enough that you are rooting for Batman in some way, but mm -hmm. it's just it's kinda like but also, if we take just one step back from this, mm -hmm. and we recognize that Batman is a billionaire. He's just a rich guy. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so different from Spider-Man in that, but yes. <laughs> He's just a billionaire yeah. who 
instead of trying to fix these problems with Mm -hmm. his unlimited resources... Gets a flying machine and does it that way instead. (laughs) He was like, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to beat people up one by one. (laughs) All my fancy gear. (laughs) So true. And and maybe that's why Spider-Man has always been so um, appealing to me. Because he doesn't have any of those. Like that first scene where he's fighting the guy in the ring in his little sweatshirt. (laughs) Like comparing that to Batman is very... I find it really appealing. <laughs> Spider-Man is way more relatable. He is yes, just, he sure. is like you said an everyman in that yeah. like you can be like, yeah, I was picked on mm-hmm. in school and like I yeah. wish I had that ability to like fight back. I've mm-hmm. been shy. I didn't know how to talk to my crush. Like yeah. so things that are very relatable to all of us. Like with Batman it's like yeah, it's tragic, but, like, we haven't all watched our parents be killed in front of us, right? Like, it's, right. like... You're an amazing creature, Spider-Man. You and I are not so different. I'm not like you. You're a murderer. Well, to each his own. I chose my path, you chose the way of the hero. And they found you amusing for a while. The people of this city... But the one thing they love more than a hero is to see a hero fail, fall, die trying. In spite of everything you've done for them, eventually they will hate you. Why bother? Because it's right. Also, like, what you do with your tragic backstory um, mm. is also a question I'm constantly kind of interested in, right? Yeah. Thinking about trauma and nature versus nurture and how it mm. manifests. And um, again, having written a book about a serial killer, yeah. which, like, bad things happen to you, but you don't have to murder people, right? Yeah, um, you just don't have to do it. You, you don't have to, don't have to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, looking at how the Christian Bale version of of Batman handles his trauma is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, it, it's, uh, it is the, the trauma plot as Peru Seagal <laughs> has, has yeah. written about for us uh, in question. And uh, do you read that piece? And I'm curious your thoughts on it and, and as related in, in a way to what we're talking about right now. I do not. I no. need to though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely need to. Cause it, it really, to me, I had my students read it. And, you know, they're nonfiction students, but mm-hmm. I thought it's still related in that, like, the the whole idea, and people got upset with Perul for writing this, that, like, trauma is not enough of a, of a mm-hmm. plot, right? Like, mm-hmm. just... Mm-hmm. Just the reveal of a character's trauma is not something that, as a plot device, is sufficient. But mm-hmm. in that, that, like... To say that, you know, well, what is the story there? And, like, what you're, you're, you're sort of saying, like, the difference between the way that Christian Bale's Batman and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man choose to deal with their trauma. And, like, that's the story. And, right, right. And it's, like, the trauma is not the end point. It is the, mm-hmm. the sort of, like, it gives us context and understanding, but it's, like, that's not, like, the ultimate reveal. Right, it ignites the fire of the actual plot. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that's so. I definitely need to read that because I'm very interested in all those things generally. Yeah. Um, one thing I did listen to in preparation for this that a friend sent me was um, Planet Money did a an episode on Spider Man. Oh, really? Have you heard of this? I'm not. It actually just came out like two weeks ago, so the timing oh. was kind of perfect. Um, okay. Like after I had decided to do this with you, um, <laughs> and it explains 
why there are so many Spider-Man movies that are the same movie, which I did not mm. know at all. So do you know about the conflict between Marvel and Sony? Yes. Um, okay, so yeah. I didn't know about any of this. And I was like, why on earth did they remake this beautiful Tobey Maguire movie <laughs> with Andrew Garfield, except exactly the same, and they just added amazing into the title, right? Um, and understanding that there are just these uh, large political um corporate forces mm -hmm. behind the stories that we tell yes. um and the stories that we you know children are watching and remembering forever and buying high heels based off of um <laughs> it's it's actually what we're seeing is actually just sort of a manifestation of a giant battle of millions and millions of dollars in large corporations run yep. by Old so it's it's interesting <laughs> yeah no it's really yeah. truly that fascinating and to think about like the the battles for all of this ip this intellectual property mm -hmm. and because of how profitable it is but like the right. churning of all like and look i say this as someone that has watched basically all of the marvel cinematic universe but okay, it's like so you know it all <laughs> it ta it has taken over in the way that like big budget films are made and there's like like mm -hmm. We basically do have, like, we only have at this point, because I'll, we have mega budget films, $100 million plus, and then we've mm -hmm. got, like, shoestring budget films and in, right, in, right. in indie, and there's nothing in between. Like, that's the, those are the only things. Like, you're either mm -hmm. gambling on something with a small budget, or you're, like, you've got a tentpole with a big budget film. There's none of that, what I feel like I grew up on, which is, like, just mid-budget films that, like, were the vehicle for, <laughs> yeah. for someone to have stardom at some point, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it's those don't exist anymore it's like mm -hmm. chris pratt didn't like have a bunch of little films where he was like a romantic lead and then it was like a right. small action film and then it was like like this or whatever no it was just like jump into jurassic park right <laughs> like that's yeah, what it is jurassic park millions 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 of dollars here we go that's it that's you now yes, yes that's it totally and like yeah. that's a res I do believe that's a result of the marvelification of everything. It's just mm -hmm. like no, we just push and like make all of our profit on one big film. Yeah. Yeah. It's so um, you know, as someone who knows very little about how movies are made, mm -hmm. um, it does I I can see the difference too as just like a very distant bystander mm -hmm. um, can see the difference. You know, my dad loves all the Avengers movies. Um, and last time I was home, uh, he sort of sat me down and was like, we're watching this one. And it was like the middle of the day and he had it on his big screen. Mm -hmm. um, and we watched the superhero movie, but I didn't have any context for any who anybody was. It was all, the, yeah. it was like the mishmash of the random superheroes, right? Mm -hmm. um, who like all have their like little quippy things. But I had a moment where I was like, how much money has gone in to making this movie? Just the sheer level of explosions yeah. is like, unreal yeah um, and that was my main takeaway from that movie was that it was just very expensive <laughs> they're very expensive they're yeah. very very expensive mm -hmm. and it's like like and and i feel like the marvel universe is so expansive that it's like now like your goal as an actor is to get a role in one of these films right. so that like you can pay your bills for eternity right <laughs> like because that's right. yeah it's so true and i do think toby mcguire spider-man is special because I, I do think it has a level of um, 
artistic nuance that mm. you don't see often in in those giant big budget action movies. It is interesting in that like that's sort of the it's part of the first wave of things that like lead to to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but like right. the storytelling in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man is still interested in the human aspect, right? Like like Exactly. That's mm-hmm. not that's not like ancillary to the story that they're telling that is the center of it that's the point of it and that's why i loved it i think um (laughs) and that's why it stuck with me for so long yeah daniel what's one lasting image that sticks with you from spider-man you know I actually have a really specific one. And when I was remembering watching this movie, this scene came into my head. And it's the scene where MJ is leaving the diner that she works at. And they're standing mm-hmm. um, like in the middle of the street. Um, and Toby Maguire is just fumbling it so hard. He is just like, you know, he's like really trying to have a nice, he's like really trying to connect with her. And mm-hmm. she's kind of seeing what he's doing. And it's this moment between two teenagers where the sweet poor nerd boy is just like doing terribly he's (laughs) (laughs) and he's so awkward and so spazzy and um i think i remember that scene for mj's grace in it Mm. and the way she sort of looks at him and says you know like doesn't doesn't say anything but sort of sees what he's doing and respects him Mm -hmm. and doesn't make fun of him and doesn't walk away and doesn't laugh at him and sort of sees the humanity in him in that moment and for some reason that's the scene i always remember and maybe it's because having watched this movie for the first time as a teenager watching that interaction felt very human and very um empathetic to me yeah yeah i love that i love that yeah Danya, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Thanks for listening to Open Forum, a podcast from LitHub Radio, produced by Eliza Smith and Justin Alvarez, and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcasts, and or sign up for the LitHub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. Next week, it's hard enough being a teenage girl. Even when you aren't covered from head to toe in hair and part of a traveling sideshow. 